Welcome to the Autism and Theology podcast, brought to you by the Centre for Autism and Theology at the University of Aberdeen. Hello and welcome to January's episode of the Autism and Theology podcast. I'm Zoe, one of your hosts. And today I'm joined by Ian, my other co-host, and Harry Gibbons. And I've invited Harry and Ian to speak about autism theology and the Imago Day. But first, um, Ian, our regular listeners know you. Um, but Harry, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, sure. So uh, my name's Harry Gibbons, as Zoe said. Um, I'm also a student at the University of Aberdeen. I'm doing a PhD um, with the Centre for Autism and Theology. My, my project is on this intersection between autism and Christian ministry. So my, my research primarily focuses on the experiences of uh, ministers uh, who are kind of in a, in a Christian context who are autistic, trying to understand what it's like um, in that role and how autism might present um, differences in how they approach that that kind of role. Um, I've done some work on the Imago Day in previous research and it kind of crops up in a lot of uh, what I've been writing the past year or so. Um, so I'm really looking forward to having this discussion. Yeah, so um, the Imago Day is is uh, a really exciting topic. I'm, I'm excited to be here and, and talking about it too. Um, I'll say a little bit about why I got into it first, which is just to say, I've always been drawn to those sort of those those concepts that lie um, underneath everything that aren't always made explicit, um, that are that are sort of central to theology, but often go unexamined. And the Imago Dei is one of those. It's one of the sort of foundational theological and ethical concepts in in the Christian tradition is what does it mean to be human? It's really a, a definition of theological anthropology. What does it mean to be human and created in the image of God? And that's picking up on uh, the creation story in Genesis 1. Um, in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 27, um, we're told that God created humanity in God's own image. And imago Dei is just the Latin translation of that, the image of God. Um, and so for centuries, really, I mean, really all along in the Christian tradition, one of the fundamental questions has been, what does that mean? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? And what is that trying to convey? And it's never stated explicitly in scripture. So we've that's, that's been primarily the work of theologians to sort of expound upon it. And um, the prevailing definition, one of the more common definitions that people um, have, at least with if they don't think about it a great deal, um, the, the sort of primary understanding that a lot of average Christians have is built around the concept of rationality, right? And this is dating back to Aquinas and even before Aquinas, but really becomes mainstreamed with, with Thomas Aquinas, because that's how he defines the Imago Dei, is the rational soul or memory, reason, and will. And so a lot of people think that's what separate because that's what separates us from the animals, quote unquote, um, is rationality, then that must be what it means to be created in the image of God. And so th if that's the prevailing understanding, um, then then first of all, 
it's not self-evident, right? It's not self-evident from scripture that that's true. Second of all, it's not entirely clear what we mean by rationality, and Aquinas's definition probably doesn't exactly align with the average Christians today. Um, and there are a lot of people who have different understandings of what rationality might mean. And so it's it, it, it's a it, it's a contentious topic. It's a topic that not everyone agrees on, even though we have the sort of same language that we put to it. Even if we talk about being created in the image of God, not everybody means the same thing by saying that. And that's, I think, one of the more fundamental questions of disability theology is how do we define the Imago Dei? How are we defining what it means to be human? Because so frequently... Um, disability theologians have pointed out that how we define humanity inevitably leaves people out. Um, and particularly for building it around rationality or memory, reason, and will, then you're you're creating a definition that has some members that are clearly part of the human species that don't bear the image of God or don't bear the image of God as clearly based on how you've defined it. And that has serious implications for the way that we treat people. You know, in, later in Genesis 9, um, the initial prohibition on murder is because humanity is created in the image of God. So even, even sort of in the base of our religious theory and, and ethics is the idea that human life has value because it bears the image of God. And so if we're defining that in such a way that some people don't have it or don't have it as obviously or conspicuously, then what we've created is a situation where we've said it's okay to treat them as less than human because in some sense they are less than human. Um, and so that's what that's what got me into it. That's why I think it's it's a it's such a live topic, particularly in disability theology. And I think it it's it's worth exploring from every possible angle. That's so interesting, Ian, to hear um, more about the Imago Dei and how your interest in it began and came to be. Um, Harry, you've had a slightly different um, route, and I guess to thinking about the Imago Dei. Would you be happy to share about that? Yeah, sure. So I had, I guess I had a less, initially a less academic approach to how I wanted to do my theological study. So when I left school, I had kind of surrendered myself to this assumption that I, I'm not a very academic person um, and that that informed the, the not just kind of the the where I wanted to go kind of as I left school and wanted to study at university did I want to study at university did I want to go straight into work uh, but when I kind of came to that decision of yes I want to go and do a theology degree it meant that I was a bit wary of these kind of uh, these latin words and these large topics that don't, like Ian says don't get talked about because they're not explicitly talked about in scripture and as church kind of likes to kind of root themselves in biblical language and Imago Dei isn't really it isn't literally biblical language in the sense that it's not laid out explicitly what it means so fast forward to um, at Aberdeen I discover actually I love studying theology and I want to carry on doing it um, I move up to Aberdeen I start studying for a master's degree um, and I wanted to have this focus on autism and theology and hence the kind of link there with Aberdeen. Um, I, I 
part of that process was to kind of try and stretch me to look deeper into theological areas that I wasn't comfortable with. Um, I re- Previously, I'd done a lot of work in youth work and youth ministry, very vocational stuff. And I really wanted to try and like really give that if I was going to try and do academia, I wanted to really just try as much as I could. And that's how I came across kind of Christian ethics as a way in for that. Um, I became very interested in what that kind of means for disability theology. Some people may know, but Aberdeen has quite a reputation for a lot of kind of disability theology stuff goes on there. Um, and so that inevitably led to me kind of reading up on the, the Imago Dei some more. The, the kind of domino effect that had was um, this kind of realisation that this question of what it means to be human being such an explicitly theological question and yet we all think slightly differently about it um, informs so much of how we we kind of read in quotes air quotes there um, autism what does it mean to be autistic um, is it just like a word we use to categorize people or is it something kind of deeper within we start peeling back the layers of a person where's the autistic layer is it at the core is it higher up right um this is how i kind of came to discovering there's different ways of approaching the imago day in terms of is it is it about rationality is there a more social element is it about the relationships we have with one another or between humanity and god is that what's meant by god made us in in his image etc etc um it kind of led me to these questions of well if it's if it's it's not necessarily a contentious topic but if it's a topic where there is naturally so many different ways of understanding it is there ways that actually not necessarily harmful but how you can you can draw out a meaning from it that can can give us a an understanding of people who have disabilities people who are autistic or maybe even broader than that people who are just different um, to the the norm the normal air quotes again um, it's clear that we have to start thinking about these very carefully especially if we're going to take that into the like I am into the context of how people then go and do ministry um, yeah so then I, I ended up uh, writing a dissertation as part of this degree that focused quite heavily on on using the Imago Dei as, as part of exploring autism and theology yeah, and Harry, you mentioned um, sociability as one of those possible definitions, and and that's the thing is, um, I I talked about rationality as sort of the prevailing definition. I think a lot of people have of the Imago Dei, at least lay, at least the average layperson. I think that's if they if pressed, that's the answer that they would give. But it's not the only answer that's ever been given. Um, we also have people who define define it more performatively, right? So say that bearing the image of God is about uh, our role as stewards of creation, right? And then there's um, a, a more modern movement, I'll say, in theology to define it in terms of social Trinitarianism or um, bearing the image of God is is related to the interpersonal relationship of the Trinity. Well, the 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 interesting thing about that, about both of those is, I think both of those also have issues. Um, and And I'll say, the rationality portion, the memory, reason, and will, the the primary criticism that I think is is um, 
is important that I've heard of that has to do with mental illness and has to do with dementia. And what do we do when those sort of threaten to undermine the the place where we've defined what it means to be human? So I think we rightly say that can't be it. That can't be it perfectly. But then stewardship and sociability are the other two sort of widespread definitions out there. And I think those potentially have issues too, um, particularly from an autistic perspective, right? What does it mean if we're saying stewardship of creation has to be what it means to be human when autistics struggle with executive dysfunction, right? Like it, that's, I am I have to be in charge not only of myself, but also of all creation in order to bear the image of God. Like that's, that's a problem. Um, and if we define the image of God in terms of sociability, in terms of inter-Trinitarian relationships, the question I have is, who gets to define what is socially normative, right? Particularly because that's one of the hallmarks of the of the pathological definition of autism that most people have, which is saying that autistics have quote unquote social deficits or deficits in social communication. Well, we know thanks to um, Damian Milton and the double empathy problem that that isn't exactly true. And yet, if we're defining the Imago Dei, if we're saying what it means to bear the image of God is to be social and to be in relationship, then unfortunately, we we run the risk of crafting a definition that once again has autistics on the outside looking in because they don't socialize the way that that a, a neuronormative, neurotypically normative society expects people to function socially. So that's that's sort of how I that, that's that's how I got into this and that's what I think is is so important from the perspective of autism and theology is saying none of these definitions fit perfectly because there are holes or or blind spots in all of them or or areas that that they that they all have something lacking yeah it's so interesting hearing from both of you and both your kind of different angles that you're viewing this topic from. I'd be interested to know how that kind of the practical implications of both of your thoughts on the Imago Dei and how practically that looks in theology, in the field of autism and theology, and also in practice in faith communities or daily lives of people. I'll jump in because I've just... I. Right. So I was joking about this before we started recording, but I'm going to jump into it anyway. So <laughs> like I said earlier, I wrote a dissertation. It was all very formal and academic and there was lots of italicized Latin in it. I was having a great time. So many footnotes. Um, one of the things that I cut, one of the conclusions I came to when asking these incredibly dense and open ended questions of what does it mean to be human what does it actually mean to be made by this divine entity what does it mean to be made in an image of something else um i came to this to this uh like junction where i i realized that there's so many different angles you can take to try and explain it away but what's at the core of all of these is that we've got to think more kind of creatively about these assumptions we have and this is kind of what Ian's just been saying that there there is there is a normative assumption about what social ability means and so when we approach something that is like autism 
there's a conflict there or there might be a conflict there and that's where there's tensions that's where we start to get we realize that our, our definition of what it means to be human works most of the time and that's fine for most cases right um i started to kind of come at this from the perspective of if if as a christian i believe that that all people are made in the image of god then that means that these normative assumptions we we are maybe subconsciously but we are placing those within our social context ourselves um, and we can see that even historically if we look at say um the 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 rise of feminism in the 20th century and how the the i'm doing lots of air quotes today the role of the woman has changed dramatically over time especially as we get into the 21st century while there's still lots of work to be done we can see that what a woman is isn't consistent throughout history and if we think geographically we see the same thing happen again we see what a woman is isn't necessarily consistent across the globe and i think that kind of thought process is very useful um, when we start thinking theologically about autism the normative assumptions about apparent social deficit might not be consistent so then taking it into a practical to come back to your question so to take it into like a practical application i as part of this um research project i i asked the question of well what's a really creative way i can approach this relational element that i've identified is an important talking point in this discussion of the imago day if we're to assume it's just to, to, to lean into that assumption that autistic people are going to at the very least maybe relate differently to people who are non-autistic um, are there ways that we can approach that we can bridge that gap and see that actually this um, definition of imago day being made in the image of god doesn't exclude autistic people um, and that led me to a really interesting um like realization that i'm already doing that so i um every fortnight i play dungeons and dragons with my friends online uh, we have a great time and i love it so much and i will talk endlessly if i'm given the opportunity about how brilliant this fantasy game is right to, to be incredibly brief, um, you focus, a lot of the game focuses around role play. So you're pretending to be someone else. Um, and I realised uh, along alongside my friends, we kind of came to this realisation together um, that often when people play a game like Dungeons and Dragons, they, they take a really introspective approach to um, asking the question of who do I what character do I want to play as? Who do I want to pretend to be for hours at a time online on an evening? Um, and that that often leads to a question of um, how much of myself do I want to put into this and how much of other people or things that I've seen, maybe influenced by stuff you've seen in TV or in a book or whatever, what do I want to bring in into the person I'm going to pretend to be? Um, what often happens in these circumstances is that pe not all the time people often will will play characters who instill qualities that they either see in themselves or that they wish that they had so they they will play maybe a slightly slightly more charismatic version of themselves if they feel like they wish they were more confident right 
this meant that basically as I was pretending to be this character in a game, I was taking some somewhat of myself, somewhat of that image, right? And placing it within the context of this fictional character I'd written. And I suddenly kind of a switch flicked in my mind. I realised that that's a, that's a really interesting thought experiment to kind of take into the Imago Dei. Um, how much, if I think of myself in the process of creating, as God has created human beings, as creating this character, I almost cannot help myself but imprint myself on that. Um, how does that um, inform the relationships that I then build with the other characters in the game, of which other people are doing the exact same thing with as well? I realise that even though um, the character that I'm playing in the game kind of is it inherently going to take on these characteristics from myself, I almost cannot, I cannot entirely remove the hairiness from it completely even if i really tried if i even really went out of my way to not do that that would still be a conscious choice that i would have to make that harry is still having to make to shape this character yet i'm still making relate i'm still building relationships among my peers um i realized that perhaps that perhaps the assumption the, the neuronormative assumption that Ian has already addressed that I've brought into this is that I'm going to struggle because I'm autistic to build relationships. And perhaps I can draw upon very real and tangible examples of that from when I was in school or a, a host of different examples. And yet here I was unconsciously like subconsciously not in, intentionally going out of my way to do that but kind of going through this therapeutic therapeutic exercise of asking what actually does make harry harry where is again if we peel back the layers how far down do we get to harry um and those questions were only asked because i had the context of the game to help me do that and so that's kind of the, the conclusion i came to in the study was like maybe we should play more dungeons and dragons maybe less explicitly than that it was a far more formal but that was the idea i just thought it was a really interesting idea to take a very creative almost is almost like a form of creative writing and ask well what happens if i intentionally lean in to the the selfness that i'm putting into this work because it is part of me in that sense what does that tell me about how kind of God made me in his image as well? And I just thought it was really cool. It's not like, again, as Ian has said, none of these definitions give a really simple, easy blanket statement that ties up with a nice little bow. That's that's the reason we've argued about it for 2000 years. Right. But I think it just it encourages it encourages us to look at these things from a slightly different angle and realize how perhaps previous assumptions we've made about how how we how we configure humanity in our brain how we approach difference and otherness in our social context in our religious context as well in church and other places as well the assumptions we we bring into that can have harmful consequences that tend to exclude people such as is the case with um the autistic community Sorry, that rattled on. And I did say, I said, I warned them that I would go on about Dungeons. It was going to happen. Dungeons and Dragons was coming up. So I will end there.
if anyone wants to talk to me more about Dungeons and Dragons, you're more than welcome. But I think that's I, I, I think that's something important that you've hit on, Harry, which is um regarding the image of God, there is um there's a problem with defining it in a singular way. And this is this is one of the conclusions that I've come to, right? And this is partly just by thinking about images in general. The purpose of an image is to make present something that isn't present, right? In in a in a really dynamic way, not in a static way. And if we approach an image expecting a singular definition for that image, then that's all we're ever going to see. Right. So if you approach Andy Warhol expecting to see only soup cans, that's all you're going to see. Right. Um, and there's something I, I would argue that you're missing something from that. If you approach the Mona Lisa expecting only to see a woman smiling or a woman frowning or whatever, then you are you are going to miss something about that image and about the the art that lies behind it and the, and the reality that lies behind it. One of the things that I think is missing from the discussion of the Imago Dei is Matthew 25, right? Matthew 25 is the parable of the sheep and the goats, where Jesus separates the sheep from the goats by virtue of who has seen Christ, the face of Christ, in, in the least expected places, in the imprisoned, in the naked, in the hungry, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that part of that parable is trying to is, is trying to explain to us what it means to bear the image of God, right? Which is something sort of fundamental to who we are. It's saying in us something of God, not the fullness of God, right? But something of God can be seen um, in us, at least in the essential parts of us, the parts that lie at the core of us. You can get a glimpse of the holy. Um, and I think that's a fundamental question about what it means to be human and, by extension, what it means to treat other people as human. Part of the reason that D&D works, that Dungeons & Dragons works, is because everyone buys in, right? If one person is role-playing a character and everybody else says, no, I don't buy it, I'm not listening to you, I don't accept your reality, then the whole game falls apart, right? And what we've created is a society where without without making it explicit without talking about it um sort of in in a in a more um open air way and without without making our assumptions clear we've created a definition of what it means to be human that leaves some people out um that that makes some people tragically something less than human or tragically not bearing the fullness of the image of God. If we do that, A, it allows us to see some existences as tragic, right? It allows us to look at, at a person and not see the face of Christ, not see the image of God, but see only tragedy because what we've expected to see in terms of the image isn't there. And ethically, what that enables us to do with that tragedy is to somehow shuffle it off to the side or eliminate it because it makes us uncomfortable. And so we have, we have, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like I'm overstating this, but the truth is 
our assumptions about what it means to bear the image of God are what allow us to treat some people as less than human. And so that's what leads us down the road of, of euthanasia, of uh, eugenics, of all sorts of institutionalization, um, because whether we want to admit it or not, we view those people as something less than human. So it doesn't matter what we do with them. Um, and I think that's, I think, obviously, I think that's wrong. I think part of what we need to be able to do, and this is this is what my work is specifically about or trying to do, is say, let's not just affirm that everyone bears the image of God and leave it at that. Because if we do, we've we've made a mess of that countless times throughout the centuries. What if we try to define the image of God in such a way that we can locate it even in autistic people and autistic experience? Not exclusively. I'm not saying autistic people alone bear the image of God and neurotypicals are out on the outside looking in, but so often we define it in a way that excludes autistic people. What if we defined it in a way that we said autistic people, by virtue of being autistic, show us something about God that we can't see elsewhere. Um, and I think that's that I think that's a really important point and something that needs to be explored for every sort of essential category of humanity is how does this exact experience reflect God and God's own being to the world? Yeah, it's so interesting what you're both sharing and just that importance of not just, saying oh we value everyone but actually what does that look like in practice what does it mean for um for us to believe that that everyone is made in the image of god and it's so interesting how you've both approached that kind of question um i'm just wondering as you're speaking do either of you ever feel frustrated by um by the way that the image of god is spoken about but then not necessarily practiced correctly like as you said Ian you mentioned things like euthanasia and even just the way that we marginalize people yeah how how do you feel about that kind of like disjoint between what the church and many people say and what's actually practiced I mean I'm I, I don't want to suggest that if we get the theory behind it right then all of a sudden the practice will fall into place because it won't right I mean I, as hard as I try I also fail to see people in as fully human and as mirrors of the divine image um, and bearers of the divine image at times. But that is, to me, I think that is our fundamental, most essential responsibility as Christians is to recognize the holiness and the belovedness and the value that God has given to every other individual that we encounter. And we fail to do that in so, so many ways. But in that, I, I, again, I don't want to make too much of Matthew 25, but in that parable of the sheep and the goats, that's what separates people, is how they treated the people that they didn't have to treat well, right? The people that society said are marginal or unimportant or uninteresting or otherwise lacking value. So, I I think that I think that's one of the more important things. And yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating as heck because some people want to define. I mean, want to define the image of God, whether they acknowledge it or not, in a way that lets them off the hook for just perpetuating the biases that they already have. Um, and I know that I I'm as guilty of that as anybody. Don't get me wrong. Um, 
but it but but I think that if we want to take this Christianity thing seriously, it's something that we we have to continuously work at. Yeah, I just want to um, kind of echo what Ian has said. Um, there's been so many times that I think the way in which we approach it's not necessarily just autism. I think this taps into a, a broader conversation of community, I guess, and how we approach how we set those boundaries of where a community is what is it that kind of ties a people group together and that often is that there are they are similar in some sense so in a religious context we might say oh a group of a church is a group of christians they all share a similar belief there's going to be diversity in what that actually means but fundamentally we can put that down to kind of these core tenets that jesus was the son of god he died and rose again blah 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 you get the idea um Whenever we, whenever that boundary is, it's not necessarily challenged, but when we are, when we realise that there is ultimately going to be weaknesses there, in that we've made a fence post around a, a people group and gone, here's our group, aren't we all wonderfully similar to one another? And then suddenly someone realises that one of the fence posts is a bit wobbly and actually it doesn't really make sense here and here and here and eventually it falls apart. One of the ones that I am I have become more conscious of since engaging in this kind of study is the way churches in particular, but I'm sure that there's similarities across other people groups as well, approach the disabled community, right? So it's it's come at from an angle of inclusion. People who are kind of familiar with disability theology will inevitably be familiar with the work of John Swinton, who has written a lot on this kind of stuff. Um, he says that there, there tends to be an understanding of inclusion in churches. So we might we might look at that as and I, I'm aware that this is a really simple example. But um, in order to include the wheelchair user, you make sure there's a ramp because they're not going to get up the stairs or if they are going to get up the stairs, it's going to it's going to come into conflict with their dignity and agency, etc. So you're going to put a ramp in cracking you've nailed it big tick on the checklist the wheelchair user can get in the building but that's where the questions stop it's their literal physical location within that community there has been no question of what what john swinton encourages to think of of the the next stage along from inclusion and that's into belonging um and he, he mentions that like perhaps one way of thinking about belonging is um, you will be missed if you are absent from that space. So it's not just that you are there, but you are there and there is something being provided. You're being strengthened as a group in this context, as a church, where the, the body of Christ is often taught, like, to use a theological term, the church is like the body of Christ. Um, and if if that one person, in this case, the wheelchair user, is absent, regardless of whether there's ramps or not, the community is lacking something. And I think this really drills into what Ian has kind of pressed upon with it's not even necessarily about making sure that autistic people can get into church or are comfortable or their their needs have been considered or that there's someone shouting from the rooftops on their behalf. All of these things are, you know, are obviously going to lead to 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 good ideas about autistic inclusion. But if we stop there, we never consider 
how does or it's how does autism actually strengthen that community rather than just act as like a challenge to overcome why do we always think about people who are different only in terms of they bring something in spite of who they are despite them being autistic actually they're really good at stacking the chairs at the end because they love patterns <laughs> great that's wonderful but if that's all we're doing we're still looking through that lens of we have to approach this negatively and i think that that comes with such a again circles us back round to how we approach the image of god we think of people who are different or who challenge our our understanding of what it means to be human even in little ways as being lesser and it will be a subconscious like we all will do it i will do it as well and i and i'll kick myself when i realize but part of uh like ian says part of if we're going to do this christian thing seriously part of this christian journey as it were is to actually come to this new vantage point of realizing that if i only think of disability in terms of how i'm getting people in have i really seen the human being that's in there or or have i only seen a list of tasks i've got to get done so that i can get them in because i think that that comes from this weaker understanding of the imago day of seeing these people who are other as people who are lesser different maybe even broken is the kind of language that you would hear yeah it's so interesting hearing what you're both sharing and as someone who doesn't really know much about conversations about the imago day it's so fascinating to hear how this fits into the whole idea of inclusion and um yeah valuing people and um, that's everything I wanted to ask you but do you do either of you have anything else you would like to share about your work in the Imago Day? I'll just say um one of the one of the difficulties that you run into particularly around the topic of autism is there are two narratives that represent the extremes that I think a lot of autistics reject. And the first is deficit thinking or, or tragedy thinking that defines autism in solely in terms of what autistic people lack. But the other is framing autism as a, as a superpower, right? You'll sometimes hear that, and I'm using the air quotes there too. Um, and I think a lot of autistic people reject that because there is something disabling about autism per se. There are ways in which um, the existence of autistic people is made more difficult just by virtue of being autistic, right? Um, and that can't all be explained away, I don't think, by the social model that says a lot of what's disabling about disability is the attitudes that society has towards disability. Um, I think there are ways in which autism actually does contain with it, within it some limitations that are imposed upon autistic people, per se, right? So I'm not trying to say autism is wonderful and perfect and and we should we should view it as a superpower and and that sort of thing but what i want to say is um the reason that i'm writing what i'm writing and, the, and studying what i'm studying and working on what i'm working on is to say to autistic people there is something beloved about you not in spite of your autism but because of it there is something valuable about you 
even with this thing at the core of your being that a lot of society wants to view as an issue or a bone of contention or a problem. There is something about you and your autism and and being autistic that God absolutely loves and has value to the rest of the world. Because I don't see that message out there in a way that I think uh, it needs to be. Yeah, that's so true. And I think this, and I know I've done this. I, I dread to think if I go back and look at previous stuff I've written in drafts and whatever, it's so easy to get into that romanticizing idea of what what autism can mean to circle back round to that example again. If we swing the entire other way, then you start thinking ah oh, i don't i don't see a wheelchair user i just see a person and the wheelchair isn't even really there well that's going to be dismissive of the very real mobility challenges that are going to be presented if you're in a wheelchair in a in the context of autism there are going to be differences and that might mean that there are things that are more difficult and that is that sucks sometimes. <laughs> That's really, really challenging. Um, and to just hear that, like, oh, actually, autism's a superpower. Actually, your your ability to see a pattern is really useful for these specific tasks does seem to sound like we're minimising the very real challenges that many autistic people um, deal with. I think it 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 kind of it's very coincidental or perhaps a perfect circular narrative here that it's almost similar to how the way we approach the Imago Day cannot be perfect and any way that we try any definition we give is going to have gaps in it I think maybe it's the same way when we talk about things like disability and autism in such broad sweeping ways we forget that it's actually people who we're talking about and that we've got to be able to stop with all our theory and listen to them and through that process of actually listening to the people who are affected we'll we will gain a better understanding of whether that does mean that adjustments have to be made or whether that means that yeah i've been carrying around an assumption about the abilities of this type of person that isn't true i've been led to believe this through a whole host of different um different sources uh, yeah, it's it's one of those very delicate. It's well, delicate might be the wrong word. It's just a very broad topic where, like, it starts quite easy. You think, ah, oh, there's a couple of verses where it says that we were made in the image of God, and then you go down the rabbit hole and you realise that you can you come out the other side being, what even is a human being? I don't even know who I am anymore. And I think it's okay to be to to not answer that question so easily like or like to to hold that unanswered to a degree is okay it's all right if you've listened to this entire thing and you've gone i wish harry could just talk about dungeons and dragons again because now he's rambling on about these broad theological ideas and not really saying anything at all and believe you and me i wish i was doing that as well but here we are i'll end there Thank you both so much. Harry, We maybe you just need to set up your own Ottoman Theology podcast where it's just Dungeons and Dragons every single week. Um, I'd be yeah. down for that. I'd be <laughs> down for that. I, I can't add another thing. I can't add another thing. I shouldn't do that.
Well, as always, I'll put a few things in the show notes and um, you can also get in contact with Harry if you do want to hear more about the Dungeons and Dragons stuff. And he's also done a webinar on it so you can find out more about that. Um, Thank you both so much for this really interesting dialogue we've had today. It's been fascinating to hear your thoughts on the Imago Day and yeah, how that fits in with Ottoman theology and how theological questions about the Imago Day can have a positive impact on practice as well. Um, so yeah, thank you both so much for joining me today. Um, and thank you everyone who's listened. As always, you can email us at cat at avdn.ac.uk and we will see you in two weeks time for our next cat chat. Thank you for listening to the Autism and Theology podcast. If you have any questions for us or just want to say hi, please email us at cat at abdn.ac.uk or find us on Twitter at Autism Theology.